the difference between like and love? Because I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. The Oscar goes to... And the Grammy goes to... The winner is... 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 And the winner is... Yeah! What's the like of seeing your luggage? Sometimes. That means sometimes. There can be a hundred people in a room. Maybe there is right now. I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken. I don't know her. She always has these long lists of like diva demands. Cheetos and Doritos. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. I understand you embrace the term diva. Yes. Welcome back, divas and divos, to a brand new episode of Diva Dailies. This is a podcast where we deconstruct divas on film and TV. I am your host, Steffi. And before we get to our co-host, if you aren't already following the podcast, make sure you are. We're at Diva Dailies Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email us, we're divadailiespod at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a nice voicemail if you're brave enough to do so. It's 714-729-3121. And please, please, please don't forget to give the podcast a rating and review and make sure you're subscribed and recommend it to a friend. Okay, so everyone, it is officially our first episode that we're releasing in September, which means, you know, new month, new theme, and school is in session, even though, you know, some people may not physically be going back to school because of coronavirus. But welcome to Back to School Divas Month. This week, joining me for her third time is Kristen. Woo! Third time's a charm! Yes, basically, you know, Kristen is going to be our diva co-host in residence for the next couple weeks because practically almost every single episode except for one she is going to be doing. And I feel like that tends to be the case on this podcast. You know, like in Devo's month, we had Angie pretty much throughout the entire month. And then next month, we're going to have someone on for three out of the four weeks. So Kristen... This is your time to shine, girl. (laughs) I am ready. I am so ready. Thank you for having me again. This is like always the highlight of of my week. A few weeks ago when when we filmed, I was like just having so much fun because I love talking all about these crazy movies with you. And I'm especially excited to be talking about these next group of movies with you because they kind of tend to be like, you know, like labeled like chick flicks. Mm -hmm. And they come out of a very specific era and time, and they all kind of feel that way, too. So I'm excited to talk about them with you. Me, too. Yes. Okay, so let's jump into Oscar Razzie moment of the week, like we do every episode. So this is the point in the podcast where we talk about our personal high point and low point moments of the week. So, Kristen... What do you have? I will start with my Razzie. My Razzie is that um, I was a bit lazy this week. We did a lot of takeout, <laughs> like every day, <laughs> like <laughs> every day. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, at least now we're like several months into all this stuff that's going on where I'm like, okay, now we're kind of eating a little bit bad and doing takeout. Like for such a long time, we were like, takeout Friday, that's it. Now I'm like, oh man, we did takeout like every day this week. Yeah. And I've also just been a little bit lazy about working on my, my scripts and stuff that I'm working on for, for my channel. So I'm like, man, that's my kind of low mm. point of, of this last week is just not getting things done and <laughs> just eating too much pizza and Chinese food. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know what? That's okay. 
okay. I feel like honestly, for me, I've kind of been in that similar headspace too this past week. Like, I don't know, there was something about this past week where I was like, dang, like, I really started to feel this coronavirus self isolation has been going on for like a really long time. And it kind of like slowed me down in that sense. And just like being cooped inside all day. I'm just like, I, 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 I can't, I can't force myself to work <laughs> right it's like i'm getting so lazy and then i'm like so bored that i'm like i'll just eat things yeah exactly i ate a whole sleeve of crackers the other day by myself <laughs> I was like, what am i oh doing my god <laughs> i was like i can't buy this anymore i know like i feel like maybe like going on a grocery run or like getting in my car and going through a drive-thru is like a highlight because it's like oh i'm actually doing something which is like weird but makes sense Mm -hmm. given what's going on i don't know like truly sometimes the highlight of my day is like when i get to go through like the del taco (laughs) drive-in that's sad Uh, but (laughs) i want tacos we we tried to get taco takeout on monday but around here mondays is when like most restaurants are closed and i'm like oh Oh. why did we decide we wanted this today now we can't get it oh no god dang well hopefully next week will be better then (laughs) (laughs) right exactly well what's your oscar moment of the week yes so my oscar moment of the week honestly i feel like things have been going like pretty well this week nice i found out that i got approved for two different film festivals which i'm really excited for they're like doing virtual versions of them so that's really fun i got asked to be interviewed for like a social media class oh wow that's cool at someone's college i'm like i'm like wow okay sure i'll I'll talk about social media tell you about my job and stuff and oh um and my job also was uh, they set up like a painting class for us like a virtual one and i did that the other day oh my god i saw that on your twitter yeah it was so fun i liked your tweet i was like oh look at Kristen. <laughs> yeah so we like we got our pizza yesterday we had wine and we just like watched this video uh or like a live zoom of this woman showing us how to paint a seashell and oh, i was like this nice. is the highlight of my week like i'm having a great time i feel like that's truly the thing now is finding joy in the little things <laughs> yeah so there's like a lot of little things and you know just a nice week. That's great. I'm happy for you. I I liked that tweet. So glad you were able to have that moment. What about you? What are your Razzies and Oscars? I'll start with my Oscar moment of the week in that right now we are currently filming the 30th episode of (gasps) Diva Dailies. Oh my gosh, I feel honored. So you were on a Hallmark episode. I feel like with the earlier episodes, like when we would get to 10 and then we would get to like 20 or 25, like I wasn't really registering like, oh, we've done this many episodes because I'm literally just thinking like, okay, just keep, keep making the next one, the next one, the next one. But like I took a pause and I was like, oh, wait, right now you're like literally about to do the 30th episode. So let's celebrate. This is the 30th Woo! episode. <laughs> Whoa. Pop, pop, oh, my goodness. and you know yes yeah that's so exciting wow Wow. we we made it to our 30s (laughs) (laughs) literally lord Uh, too funny that's so exciting and you know that's a great accomplishment i love listening to your different episodes and learning more about all of the divas and devos and a lot of things that i didn't know about certain movies too so it's an honor to be here for your 30th thank you Kristen was one of the first new ish people that i had on the podcast when we did spice girls i don't like that feels like so 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 long ago that was literally like in march like i think it was literally like march 11th because the next day i remember i didn't have to go to work yeah because i remember that was the beginning of the coronavirus (laughs) and then i've been home since 
start off with like a general Razzie moment of the week is just like this coronavirus scare. How is it in like New York? Like what's the culture there Um, surrounding coronavirus 2020? I feel like it's very much still going on as if nothing's really happening. Like they say like, oh, try not to be on the subway. Try to walk if you can. But like everybody's still everywhere. Yeah. But actually, I will say, though, I went to Trader Joe's the other day. And there was no toilet paper, chips, or alcohol. So I was like, <gasps> I guess everybody's sucking <laughs> up on those three things. Yeah. Woo! Wow, we have really gotten through this together, girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll stick with you throughout the whole thing. Here we are. <laughs> as long as you want me. So yes, that's my Oscar moment of the week. And then my Razzie moment of the week is for people who follow me on YouTube, I just recently got done covering, by the time you're listening in September, I've done other things. But at the time of filming this, I had recently just finished covering Killing Eve on my channel and understandably so I have a lot of Killing Eve fans who are following me on social media and then they tag me and it's like oh now I'm really up to date <laughs> with what's going on so yes. I woke up this morning to several notifications and Killing Eve fans have tagged me in the news that Killing Eve filming for season four has been indefinitely delayed which yeah. you know I'm not surprised because I was I was like kind of expecting it given the state of the coronavirus and for those of you guys who don't know when it comes to Killing Eve that is a show that they travel a lot and they shoot on location for a good chunk of their stuff in Europe so I was like oh man this is probably not gonna pan out too well for coronavirus so um the news came out today that season four filming has been indefinitely delayed because I guess they usually start filming in August and well that's not gonna be happening so (laughs) oh man now I'm like oh my god (laughs) when is it gonna come back yeah this gives me time to catch up on season three (laughs) yeah you yeah now take your time girl because we don't know we don't know because I guess normally it's like they film from August all the way to the autumn maybe even to the winter if need be but then like they have a quick turnaround because then by the spring I guess they're back on air I really don't know because I've never watched it in real time but that's what people have told me they're saying hopefully they can start back up again in 2021 and then just release the season later in 2021 but I'm still like I don't know if people just like wear a mask socially distance themselves maybe this could have been avoided oh man well hopefully things will get rolling for them soon I know. Or sooner rather than later, at least. I'm so curious with other TV shows, are they going to start filming soon? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I guess maybe it depends on, like, how many people are in the cast. Mm. Are there things that they can do with fewer people together? True. You know, I've also been hearing a lot about people being like, oh, yep, we pitched a new show. It's animated, a new animated series. It's like, maybe there'll be a lot of animated stuff in the future because that's, like, the one thing you could probably still do from home, you know? That is so true. Wow. They could definitely do voice acting from home and drawing all the stuff. They can definitely do that at home, I'm sure. Wow. I'm just thinking about all the shows that I watch and how I don't know when they'll come back. Like, I'm getting so, I'm getting so nervous. Yeah. Maybe 2021 will just be the year of animation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to predict when this is all going to end. <laughs> I have no idea. And now, our feature presentation. 
Bianca Stratford is the most popular girl at Padua High. You're asking me out? I'm down. I've got the 411. And you are not going out and getting jiggy with some boy. I don't care how dope his ride is. Her sister, Kat, is something else entirely. People perceive you as somewhat tempestuous. Heinous witch is the term used most often. The only thing they have in common... I am the only girl in school who's not dating. Oh, no, you're not. Your sister doesn't date. ...is one simple rule. Okay, you can date when she does. But she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. The movie that we are talking about today is 10 Things I Hate About You. For Cameron, no one will go out with her. It's a problem. And what about him? I heard he ate a live duck once. So you two are gonna help me tame the wild beast? Absolutely. Touchstone Pictures presents a story for every guy who's ever tried. You never give up, do you? Was that a yes? No. Well, then was that a no? No. Every girl who's ever hoped. This is not good. And anyone who's ever been taken completely by surprise. She kissed me. Where? In the car. 10 Things I Hate About You. 10 Things I Hate About You was released on March 31st, 1999. For those of you guys who don't know, 10 Things I Hate About You is a 1999 teen American romantic comedy and is a modernization of William Shakespeare's late 16th century comedy, The Taming of the Shrew, retold in a late 1990s American high school setting. In the story, new student Cameron, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is smitten with Bianca, played by Larissa Olenek, and in order to get around her father's strict rules on dating, attempts to get bad boy Patrick, played by Heath Ledger, R.I.P., to date Bianca's ill-tempered sister, Kat, played by Julia Stiles, who is our diva of the week. Yes. Okay, so 10 Things I Hate About You, I pretty much listed the main four cast members of the movie, but 10 Things I Hate About You stars Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, Larissa Olenek, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Crummeltz, Andrew Keegan, Susan May Pratt, Gabrielle Union yes. with Allison Janey. So this movie was directed by Gil Junger and was written by Karen McCula and Kristen Smith. Fun fact, this was actually their first screenplay and they would go on to write Legally Blonde in 2001 and The House Bunny in 2008. So kind of getting a feel for their writing style there. So yes. Kristen, when was the first time you saw this movie? Oh man. You know, I don't even really know because I feel like this is one of those movies that they would air on like an ABC Family type of thing. Girl, same. Right? Same, same, same. <laughs> they play it so much that I realized I actually don't think I ever had seen the full thing for a really long time. I only saw like parts of the movie. Uh-huh. Because I just, you know, turn on the TV, you know, because this came out when I was like nine. Right. So like I would just turn on the TV randomly and like parts of it would be playing and I'd watch and be like, oh my God, this is so good. But I would have missed like the whole beginning. And then, you know, that happened like all the time to me. So I don't even remember the first time I like actually sat down and like watched it. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Nice! It's definitely up there. Yes. I had a 10 Things I Hate About You poster in my college dorm. Wow. Yeah, like I loved this movie. And I mean, wow. <laughs> I'm giving Kristen a moment. <laughs> <laughs> the writers themselves, not only did they write Legally Blonde, they wrote Ella Enchanted, She's the Man, The House Bunny, they're working on Legally Blonde 3. Like these women, 
they know how to write some really good teen romance. Well, Legally Blonde is, in, is set in college for some of it. So, no, they, they just write some really, really good stories centered around women. Yes. I have an interesting question for you. How do you feel about the term chick flick because I mean like people would categorize the films that these ladies write especially as chick flicks the movies that you mentioned and referenced they tend to have a predominantly large audience that skews toward female so you know therefore people would call them chick flicks but sometimes I feel like when people use the term chick flick it's like a bit condescending or like they're diminishing like oh those are just like a chick flicks but I mean like I like those movies (laughs) well yeah I think that I love chick flick type of movies I, I yeah. think when you do say that term, maybe guys will be like, oh, well, I'm not going to be interested in that. When this is a, like, especially this movie, 10 Things to Write You, is a movie I think that, you know, is for anyone, really. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like, chick flick, the term kind of, like, makes it feel, like, diminishing. But, like, all of the scripts that these women have written are about, like, actually really groundbreaking characters. Legally Blonde was about a blonde woman that people underestimated who went to college and became, like, a friggin' awesome lawyer and didn't have to right. diminish her own ideals or how she feels. You know, she can wear pink, she can get her hair done and still be an awesome lawyer. You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? Ella Enchanted was about a girl who has to do everything that she's told. Mm-hmm. And she has to break that curse. You will no longer be obedient! You will no longer be obedient! She's the man. She pretends to be her brother so that she can play soccer. Like, these are very... Right. Actually, like, groundbreaking stories. <clears throat> yeah, I'm doing great, you know, just <clears throat> busy being a guy. Being a guy, yeah. Rewatching this, uh, this film, 10 Things I Hate About You, I was like, wow, Kat and Bianca are such powerful characters. Mm-hmm. Kat is a character who is very, I think, not the typical person that you would see as a love interest. She's very outspoken. She's very headstrong. She can be angry. She can be difficult. She has a lot of interests and hobbies and things. Like, they created a whole world. Like, I felt very, even more invested, I feel like, in these characters and the story because it didn't feel like, I know when we were talking about um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, we didn't really learn that much about Andy's background. Here, I felt like we learned about everything in a way that really made the story feel very whole. Mm -hmm. So, this is like beyond chick flick. I think these are just like really great stories that these women are telling about like strong women that are you know different yeah than like what we would normally see in like these types of stories you know like it's kind of like more groundbreaking I feel like especially for when Mm -hmm. a lot of these films came out right absolutely and then like especially thinking too specifically here with 10 things I hate about you like the fact that we get a female teenage character like Kat who I feel like in a lot of ways was kind of like ahead of her time because she is like woke per se. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I guess in this society, being male and an asshole makes you worthy of our time. (laughs) What about Sylvia Plath or Charlotte Bronte or Simone de Beauvoir? What did I miss? The oppressive patriarchal values that dictate our education. Seeing a character like that in a teen rom-com from the 90s, very, very cool. And also, I mean, for people who kind of like look down on if it's like the general plot and idea of the movie, like this is a story that was quite literally taken from Shakespeare source material. Yeah, I didn't realize either re-watching this, like how much they really reference so much Shakespeare. Like, there's a lot. Yeah! No, because I know you're a fan of Shakespeare. Who could refrain? that had a heart to love, and in that heart... Courage to make love known. It's Macbeth, right? 
Right. I have a question then for you. Did you read Taming of the Shrew in high school or in college or whenever? I don't remember. I had to take so many Shakespeare classes. Yeah, I don't I don't think I read Taming of the Shrew. I think every high school in America, at least <laughs> the Shakespeare text that is usually covered as Romeo and Juliet. But I'm trying to think if we did Taming of the Shrew too. I don't think we did. I don't think so. Although I'm like surprised because I feel like I had to take a lot of Shakespeare classes, especially in college. Mm. But yeah, I don't remember... Uh, I don't remember it, so I don't think so. Maybe we'll get like a Shakespeare expert. Shakespeare experts can um, let us know after the podcast is over how close this adaptation was. Right. So initial impressions is after, I mean, it's kind of hard again, like you said, because like you can't really pinpoint, but like you've always loved this movie, clearly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's why I was like, I'm so so excited to talk about it with you, especially rewatching it now and like noticing all these things that I did not notice. Mm Mm-hmm all the other times that I've watched this movie. Oh, so exciting. Okay. Well, for me, the first time I saw this movie, kind of like I said, when you were giving your answer, I honestly don't remember. This movie and like the other ones are going to be covering throughout the month and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion Uh, were movies that they're just part of my childhood. Yes. Because they were like so part of the culture during that time we were growing up during this like height of teen rom-coms really and quote-unquote chick flicks like that was the time we grew up in I can't pinpoint when the first time I saw this movie but like you I always enjoyed it so what is your first scene (laughs) my first one was the the party was that yours no 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 I don't have that but I was kind of hoping that you would cover that so go for it yes okay cool Actually, before we get into the party, I do want to mention, this really feels like a template for high school movies, you know, like, Mm. you have the the classic lunch tables, we're introducing our new character, we're gonna go to the different cliques, and- Yes! The cliques! Kinda do that high school movie trope. Exactly. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. To the left, we have the coffee kids. That was Costa Rican, butthead! Very edgy, don't make any sudden movements around it. These delusionals are your white Rastas. Uh, they're big Marley fans. They think they're black. Semi-political, but mostly... Smoke a lot of weed? Yeah. These guys... Wait, wait, let me guess. Cowboys? Yeah, but the, the closest they've come to a cow is McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> These are your future MBAs. We're all Ivy League accepted. Yuppie Greed is back, my friend. You gotta go to the prom. You gotta have, like, the... Especially the '90s, it was like having the um, the musicians, like the the bands, come in. Like yes. that was in TVN movies. I'm like, right. There's always the big gesture. Oh, right, right. The minute this film started, and I saw like those like tables, and it reminded me of that meme that's going around now, where like you know everyone's at the tables, and it's like, which table would you sit at? This one. Yeah. And I'm like, that's still so relevant that like that's even a meme now. Like how funny is that? Right, exactly. When I was watching that scene, I was like, oh my god, like Mean Girls did that. Same, same. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. Beware of the plastic. But okay, so first scene the party. There's just so much to unpack. Oh my god, there's so much going on. So the situation is that Heath Ledger's character, Patrick Verona. (laughs) Verona. (laughs) AKA Romeo and Juliet reference. Patrick brings Kat 
What are you doing here? 9.30, right? No, I'm early. Whatever, I'm driving. I think that there's just so much going on here because first we get to really see a little bit more going on between Kat and Joey that like there's a reason why she hates him. So we're kind of hinting at that, which I really liked. Hey Kat, look who found me. Bianca, wait. Please do not address me in public. No, there's something I need to tell you. Look, I am busy enjoying my adolescence, so scamper off and do the same. Bye-bye. And because she hates him so much, she gets upset and she starts drinking. And then we flash over to the hypnotized scene, which is legendary. I cannot hear Biggie's hypnotized without thinking about this movie. Oh my god. She gets on the table and starts dancing. <laughs> saw this <laughs> but I had read that that scene is oh what God. inspired them to cast Julia Stiles in the lead <laughs> role in Save the Last Dance. I cannot I cannot like when I read that fact I was like oh my god and also like okay I don't know if you've been seeing on Twitter as of late but even like online too people have been making fun of her little routine and say the last dance being like oh my god like it's not good and like I'm in full agreement. like yeah that number is not very good but I just think it's so funny how Julia Stiles dances better in this scene than she did in Save the Last Dance. Yes, I thought the same thing. I was like, wait, why is she like actually kind of good here? Yeah. And Save the Last Dance, especially that specific scene, you could see that like there were parts where she was doing it and parts where they like got the bag of her and it was clearly a real dancer doing the oh, other man. parts. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The choreography, it was a big miss from a professional point of view in any form. It's rough. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh man. And then also in this whole situation, we're starting to see that even Bianca, who was the one that was originally interested in Joey, is starting to be like, actually, this guy's really boring. He has nothing to talk about but his modeling career, <laughs> you know? And you could just see that the little hints of her like starting to look to that guy, Cameron, that's mm -hmm. interested in her and, and being interested in him as well and, and kind of moving away from Joey. Hey, have fun tonight? Time. Hey, Cameron, um, do you think you could give me a ride home? After the hypnotized scene, Kat is like super drunk and Patrick is taking care of her. We get another scene that I think is very legendary, which is he takes her to sit on the swings oh, in front of the house. Yes. <laughs> and she's like, Hey, your eyes have a little green in them. Oh my god and then he takes her home and they have like these really nice moments and she is definitely falling for him now like this is where i feel like this whole party is where it's setting up bianca's starting to fall for cameron she's realizing joey's a loser cat is starting to fall for patrick but this is a part that i kind of was like girl what are you what are you doing <laughs> she tries to kiss him but he realizes that one he it really is starting to like her and two that she's drunk right you're not as vile as i thought you were Maybe we should do this another time. So he doesn't want to kiss her. And I thought, I'm thinking, what a freaking 
gentlemen. I know. Heath Ledger was ahead of his time. Right? I was like, <laughs> wow, that is so nice that this guy is going to help her out, take care of her, and not be a jerk. Mm-hmm. So the whole party scene, there's a lot, of, a lot of moments in there, but that really stood out to me. It's just like a huge moment where we get a lot of things happening. There's a lot of iconic scenes in there, and we're sort of starting to see the progression of these characters, like forming relationships, becoming uninterested in other people, and kind of just that bubbling start of like the real relationships that are supposed to build out of this so right totally really good stuff oh yeah it's like quite literally now the plot thickens (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right what's your second scene my next scene is the legendary performance oh my god okay that's my that's my first scene you can't do 10 things i hate about you without talking specifically about this scene yes yes so you you go first you go first i I can't wait to hear what you think okay so i'll set it up so this is like later in the movie now and patrick at this point has kind of messed up with cat except did he really well he didn't really (laughs) mess up with cat really he was a gentleman it's more so (laughs) cat is very upset with him because he swerved her but he was being a gentleman so he really didn't mess up but (laughs) she's now at this place where she won't talk to him and Cameron and his friend Michael are like okay Patrick you really need to like think of something to win her back so Patrick pays this kid in the hallway we don't really know what's going on here cut to cat outside at soccer practice their high school stadium and then suddenly over the stadium speaker you hear you're just too good to be true can't take my eyes off of you you'd be like heaven to touch i wanna hold you so much at long last love has arrived and i thank god i'm alive you're just too good to be true can't take my eyes off of you And then it just like grows into this big performance that includes the band. And he's just making this big romantic gesture. Ten things I hate about you. Nine out of ten times, most people are going to think of this scene first. I'm just stating facts. This scene is just so freaking charming. This is Patrick's, like Kristen said earlier, grand gesture. Mm-hmm. This is Patrick's grand gesture. What I love about this performance too is that, of course, aside from it being charming, it's like also really funny because, first of all, throughout the movie, he has this like cool, tough guy exterior, but then he goes on to perform this song. You're like, oh. <laughs> And then, like, the way he performs, too, where he, like, initially he slides down this pole like a fireman. Yes! Oh, my God. (laughs) Legendary. Legendary. And then he, like, starts doing these, like, jazz slides across the bleachers. (laughs) And then, at one point, like, security guards literally show up and they try holding him down. But then he, like, manages to kind of, like, escape their hold and he starts running around. And then he starts being chased after the security guards. And then at one point, he literally, like, slaps one of them in the ass as he's, like, running away. It's just like it's so funny it's so good Heath Ledger he he really makes this scene for me like watching Julia Stiles reaction to him is like very cute but like this really is his moment and for those of you guys who who don't know that's 
really him singing. Yes. I actually found a clip of Julia Stiles talking about like what her favorite memory from filming that day was. She she got asked about that on Watch What Happens Live. My favorite memory of that day, the whole day, he was just phenomenal. I mean, like running up and down those stadium steps and nobody knew that he had this amazing voice and he just went full out and I got to watch it. It's such a great moment. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's just a really, it's a really cute moment. What did you think? <laughs> and literally, you know, I loved Heath Ledger in this movie. Yeah. I think everyone fell in love with him in this movie. And I think this scene, like you said, is just so iconic. When you think of this movie, this is what you think of. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it and I'm like, how would I have reacted to this? And it, Oh my God. Yeah. I was thinking of that too. I don't know. She's a person like it's a little bit hard to read cat. Yeah. So I was like, actually like, would she be upset by this? Like, is this considered embarrassing? Or the swerve, like, which was more embarrassing. <laughs> and I'm like, but you know what? Heath Ledger is just so charming. And like, I mean, if Heath Ledger did that to me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> it just embodies like one of the things that I think is so great about Patrick Verona is that when you really look at his character, everyone's like, oh, he's the bad boy. But he's actually like super nice yeah. the whole time. Like, yeah, you know, people don't really get him. He's goofy. He puts together a whole song and dance to win over a girl he likes. He tricks the guy that is a jerk into giving him all this money and then he uses it to buy a gift for the girl. True. I think it was more like, he's like, I'm gonna just use this guy. Right. And kind of like, get this girl that I like to fall for me because I really like her. When do you think was the moment in the movie where like Patrick started to really genuinely like Kat? I think there were like two moments that kind of stood out to me. Uh-huh. I think the first is when he actually goes to that club skunk and sees her dancing. I was watching you out there before. I've never seen you look so sexy. <laughs> oh my gosh their chemistry in that scene in particular is so freaking good like in general yeah julia styles and heath ledger their chemistry is so 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 good in this movie but in that scene especially i was like oh this is really good <laughs> yeah like there there's a moment before he, they even talk then where he's just like watching her dance and smiles. Yeah. And oh my God, he felt your smile in this. Like, oh my God, I can't either. Oh my God. I can't. Oh. But that to me is one of the moments where he first kind of starts to become interested in her and sees that there's like other sides to her because she was being really free and just dancing mm. and not, you know, necessarily worried about having up a tough exterior. Yeah. And so that's when I feel like he first really started to like her. Actually, I guess that's the main moment where I feel like I kind of saw something there. And then I think he really shows it and we get to see her really starting to like him when they're at that party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, because I feel like those moments that you're pointing out too, it's that break in who they perceive each other to be. Mm -hmm. Even thinking about like this moment right here, the song moment, he's kind of breaking this facade of like, oh, I'm like this tough, cool guy that like mysterious and no one really knows. Like here he is like singing a Frankie Valli song, like declaring his love with the full marching band. And then in turn, like you said, you don't really know how she's going to react because she is kind of hard to read. But her actually smiling and laughing and receiving the song moment positively was a break in her facade as well that like oh you know she's hard to read she has a tough exterior as well so yeah I feel like the scene at the club was definitely I think the initial like ooh. but I would also kind of say too like that moment at the party when she says like oh your eyes are like 
kind of green. Like, that whole moment on the swing for me, I felt like they really started to connect. Yeah, yeah. Even though, like, she, like, vomited, but, like... <laughs> yeah. But did you see, he, I was, like, thinking, like, he didn't even react. That was probably all over his shoes, and he was just like, all right, and he sat down. Like, that's love, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's love. What's your next scene? The scene that I wanted to talk about was when we get to the prom, everybody ends up going, and we learn a lot. This is another one of the scenes, kind of like the party scene, where, like, everyone comes together and, like, so many things happen. So, basically, at prom, Bianca finds out from someone who was supposed to be her friend, that is, that's a little bit more of a catty character, that there was a whole plan that Joey put into motion that he only wanted to go out with her because he wanted to sleep with her. Joey just picked me up. Oh, well, congratulations. He's all yours. Very generous, princess. And just so you know, Joey only left you for one reason. He even had a bet going with his friends. He's gonna nail you tonight. I was taken back a little bit just because that's not the plan that we are all following. We're following a plan of, like, of Cameron's plan, basically, which is to get Bianca to go out with him. So to find out that there's also, like, another plan. Right. You know, like, we know Joey was involved because he wanted to go out with Bianca, but we didn't know that his plan was to, like, sleep with her and, like, dump her kind of thing. Oh, yeah, like, there was a whole added layer there. It was like, ooh, Yeah, so we find that out, and then everyone's having a great time at the dance, and Joey, (laughs) thinking that he's still going to be going to the dance with Bianca, who decides to go with Cameron, oh, my God, when he knocks on the door at their house, and the dad is like... I'm Mr. Stratford. I'm Joey. I'm here to pick up Bianca. Joey ends up going to the dance and confronting Patrick and being like, Hey, what's Bianca doing here with that cheese dick? I didn't pay you to take out cats so that some little punk could snake me with Bianca. Nothing in it for you, huh? Cat finds out that was the real plan and she's pissed off, understandably. Mm-hmm. And then... Joey gets confronted by Michael and Cameron, who are like, Joey, I'm a cadre. You messed with the wrong guy. Now you're gonna pay. You and that little bitch. All right, that's enough, okay? You crossed the line. (laughs) Oh, come on, get up, you little punk. And Joey ends up punching out Cameron because he's mad that he took Bianca to the dance. And the the best part, honestly, is that Bianca, who's, you know, been very focused on popularity, on things like that throughout the film, she's realized at this point that, like, she actually likes Cameron. She's not interested in Joey, who's self-obsessed. She taps him on the shoulder, punches him in the nose, and says, That's for making my day bleed! That's for my sister! Oh! And that's for me! And she basically kicks his butt in the middle of prom. Yes. As I was watching the scene, I was like feeling so empowered. I was like, you go, girl. (laughs) You go, girl. (laughs) You go, girl. I think what was really cool about this was that throughout the film, they showed Kat and Bianca as very different people. You know, that Bianca is very obsessed with like looks and superficial things and popularity and the cute guys at school Mm -hmm. whereas Kat is more like gotta be your own person gotta do your own thing but I think over time you kind of see as Bianca is growing up and like experiencing life in high school that she's able to make 
the right decisions based off of finally getting to go out on dates and experience things and go to parties. That was something in this film that, like, the whole situation is that, like, Bianca can't do anything unless Kat does too, and because Kat doesn't want to, Bianca can't. Because of that, Bianca doesn't really go to parties, she doesn't go out on dates, she doesn't, like, get to go do things with her friends, and now that they're finally getting Kat out, Bianca's experiencing those things and making actually the opposite decisions to what Kat made. Right. Which I think is what Kat was afraid of, was that she was going to follow in her sister's footsteps and, you know, like, go out with a guy like Joey and kind of be used and tossed aside, and I think that that's actually, like, a really interesting story to dive into and we sort of see that like Bianca can make these decisions on her own and make the right choice and not go with like the jerk and that she and her sister are a lot more have a lot more in common than it seems and I think they get closer at the end of the film and then the fact that we're able to see Bianca be like are you kidding me you can't Mm -hmm. you can't treat people like this Joey and actually step up and defend her date's honor defend her own honor and I loved Cameron's reaction are you okay like oh this this girl I've been out with defended me and I'm embarrassed because like this guy you know like he was like yeah wow this girl I like beat up a guy for me like this is great like thanks yeah you know like she kind of becomes the hero in the story and so I thought that was really cool yeah like that moment too is like an interesting I felt like when I was watching that moment I was like oh this is kind of like an interesting gender flip on the situation again so many high school movies it's typical to see the guy kind of like show how macho he is by punching the other guy to honor you know his girl and then he turns around and the girl was like, are you okay? Like, that's so typical for the guy to be in that position. But I thought it was interesting how in this movie they kind of, like, flipped the gender roles there. I love that. I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Very empowering. And that was an interesting, too, when you were talking about how a huge part of this movie is the fact that, like, Bianca's so sheltered and both of the daughters kind of hinted to their dad like you know you can't essentially keep us from living our lives like we have to make our own decisions and create our own experiences in order to quote unquote learn but it's like also kind of like you know I feel like from like a parent's perspective giving your child the room to live their life and you'll be surprised with the decisions that they will make like just trusting them that when it comes time to they can be discernible enough to know like okay this is right this is wrong this is a good situation this is a bad situation you know mm-hmm. yeah definitely i think that's a great message what is okay wait what's your next scene because i wonder if this is my second scene my last scene is when she reads the the sonnet that she wrote in class okay that's my second scene <laughs> oh, okay so cool so you go first to set up the scene after the whole prom debacle when cat finds out that Patrick was, you know, paid to go on these dates with her. Obviously, she feels very betrayed because she was already questioning Patrick's intentions, like, prior. And they even had a conversation earlier in the movie when she straight up asked him, like, What's in it for you? Oh. So so now I need to have a motive to want to be with you. You tell me. You need therapy. You know that? Has anyone ever told you that? Answer the question, Patrick. Nothing. There is nothing in it for me. Just the pleasure of your company. Okay? So cut to now after prom. English class. They were assigned earlier to do their own version of a sonnet. And Patrick and Kat are in this English class together. And the teacher goes around and he's like, okay, who wants to, who's brave enough to read what they wrote? And of course, no one raises their hand. And Kat is like, you know what? I'll do it. So she gets up and she reads her poem. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. 
I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. I was really impressed from like an acting standpoint. Like I was impressed with their performance. Apparently I was reading that this was the first and only take for that scene and Julia Stiles' tears were not planned. I was reading in a, a New York Times article because it was commemorating the 20th anniversary of 10 things i hate about you so that was like last year in the article julia styles said quote i remember heath when they turned around to do his reaction shot he said something like i don't need to do anything because this isn't about me a lot of times you get one actor crying in a scene and the other actor feels like they have to cry and he knew to be sort of restrained i thought that was really cool so i was like oh that's like really cool actor's insight into this scene because i think like both of them they have a really great performance in this scene because, of course, you have Julia Stiles emotionally kind of like breaking down as she continues reading through her poem. But then like also Heath Ledger's reaction to Julia Stiles in that moment was was a great performance. And now that I'm thinking about it, too, it's like this act of Cap reading the poem could kind of be seen as like her big gesture in a way. Yeah. Again, like how in in the Heath Ledger Patrick performing moment we saw her reaction to that. We're now seeing his reaction to her grand gesture. So, in a way it's kind of like a a nice like parallel mirroring. But I mean, what are your thoughts on this scene because this is your your scene as well? So, what I found very interesting was this was a moment that I didn't remember that before this, the teacher assigned that. Mm. I found it really interesting the way that they like kind of set that up where like the teacher gives them this assignment. He like wrapped the sonnet. I was like, wait, Hamilton? (laughs) (laughs) Shakespeare? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's open up our books to page 73, sonnet 141 and listen up. In faith, I do not love thee with mine eyes, for damn thee a thousand errors note. But tis my heart that loves what they despise. Who in despite of you is pleased to dope. Now, I know Shakespeare's a dead white guy, but he knows his shit, so we can overlook that. I want you all to write your own version of this sonnet. And I never realized that like he basically is creating that moment of where this scene has to go to. Do you know what I mean? Right. So mm-hmm. as he said the sonnet, I found it really interesting. Um, I wrote it down because I was like, oh, yeah, like, what is he saying exactly? And how does this, like, connect to what she's saying? Mm-hmm. The sonnet that he reads is, In faith I do not love thee with mine's eyes, for they in thee a thousand errors note. But tis my heart that loves what they despise, who in despite of you is pleased to dote. So it's basically kind of saying, like, looking at you, there's, like, a lot of things that I don't like about you. Mm-hmm. But, like, on paper, there's all these things that I shouldn't like about you, but my heart loves you anyway. Mm. Her sonnet was kind of, like, basically saying that same exact thing, like, here's all the things that I hate about you, but I hate the most that I love you. Right. Which also, like, low-key kind of reminded me of that Miley Cyrus song. <laughs> yeah, the seventh <laughs> thing Yeah. You're vain, you're again, you're
I wonder if that was like inspired by it, you know? I wouldn't be surprised. But so I just found that really interesting because I guess when I was younger, I didn't know that there was something that was like leading into why she wrote that poem. And so I was always mm. kind of like, okay, like she's saying this poem about what she hates about him, but really that she loves him. Right. But like, why? And I guess that also kind of went back to the fact that like, I didn't realize how much Shakespeare they brought up in this movie. Everything kind of came out of the teacher being like, we're going to do the, the Shakespeare sonnets and you're going to write your own sonnet to express how you feel. And then it was kind of like, ah, oh, this is where the 10 things I hate about you comes from. Right. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, again, like relating back to the source material, I guess, in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like a good chunk of our scenes, again, are like in the later half of the movie. And my final scene is essentially <laughs> the end which pretty much comes right after this scene. So right after English class, Kat is walking to her car, and just as she walks right up to the driver's side, she notices a guitar in the seat. And earlier in the movie, they showed Kat and Patrick at a music store together, and she mentioned to him, I should do this. Do what? This! Start a band? No, install car stereos. Yeah, start a band. My father would love that. So now at the end of the movie, she's looking at the guitar and then Patrick appears right behind her. And I like literally when I watched this movie last night, I actually teared up watching this scene. I was like, oh my God, what is happening to me? But their chemistry is just so good. In the back of my head, I started getting concerned. Like what's going to happen when she goes to college? Like I was really emotionally invested when Heath Ledger smiles in this scene. You're just like, oh my goodness, this is great. This is a moment. Nice, huh? A Fender Strat? Is it for me? Yeah, I thought you could use it, you know, when you start your band. Besides, I had some extra cash, you know. Some asshole family to take on this really great go. Is that right? Yeah, but I screwed up. I am. Um... You know, I'll be honest, though, I kind of felt like (laughs) the resolution was a bit quick, you know, because like we're ready at the end of the movie for like an hour and a half. They want to be like clean in, clean out. But even though the ending was like, okay, let's let's wrap it up here. I really didn't care because I was like, you know what? They're selling it for me. So what did what did you think about the ending? The ending I always found a little bit confusing Mm -hmm. just because maybe because I so many times I had watched this film in pieces and I definitely have watched it all together but like because I was younger I didn't like always catch everything I guess so Mm -hmm. I kept thinking why did he really get her a guitar and I think like as I watched it now I realized like oh wow she's like into music the whole time like this whole soundtrack right basically like we're listening to her soundtrack essentially and they bring in so many music artists and like she loves all of these musicians and they go to all these concerts and all this stuff and I was like Mm -hmm. okay and then she says like oh yeah you know I think it'd be cool to make my own band and then I was like okay so that's where that came from but I remember when I was younger like watching this being like I don't really (laughs) feels a little bit like a reach to be like well here's a guitar I've never like seen you really really playing a guitar but like here you go right you know like it wasn't like this film was about her like starting a band but she had a lot of interest but that also kind of goes to show how he was really like paying close attention to her you know like the fact that that was wasn't something that the movie was like really hitting you over the head with with like specifically oh like Cap wants to be in a band and she wants a guitar but I feel like that kind of also adds to his character in a way like oh he's very observant that's one of the things I really liked about this movie is that I just feel like they made these characters in this world feel really 
complete and whole and gave everybody something to do and everybody little things about them and little quirks and I just think that it made the world feel real and it made you connect even more with like the characters and, and especially our lead characters. Yeah. I was like really impressed because I feel like there's a lot of times when I'm watching movies and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, there's not enough time. That's why I watch a lot more TV, I feel like, because mm-hmm. even though it takes longer, I feel like I'm more invested in the world because I get so much more time with the characters. Right, totally. Whereas with this, I felt like, wow, they really did a great job with the timing that they had to really dive into all these characters and, and set up everything in a way that didn't feel like they wasted any time. Absolutely. They, like, really did a great job with, like, creating a very, like, immersive high school world with interesting characters, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I guess I could end before we move on to our other segments. What was your favorite line of the movie? Oh, my gosh. (sighs) Does Heath Ledger's smile count as a line? (laughs) (laughs) That's a line. (laughs) Like, literally, I remember being younger and just being like, oh, my God, his smile. Like, I can't. Yeah. He's very charming in this movie, for sure. Yeah, he really is. R.I.P. man. (laughs) I would say one of the lines that stood out to me was when Patrick was going to kind of give Cameron a pep talk. She never wanted me. She wanted Joey the whole time. Cameron, do you like the girl? Yeah. Yeah, and is she worth all this trouble? Well, I thought she was, but, you know, I... Well, she is or she isn't. See, first of all, Joey is not half the man you are. Secondly, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Go for it. Yeah, so that was a good one because I think it's... That was, like, another way of us seeing, like, how he's really a good guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's a good guy. Patrick's just, like, misunderstood. Um, Seriously. <laughs> justice for Patrick. For me, okay, so my my favorite line in this movie, it comes, like, towards the beginning, and it's an Alice and Janie line. <laughs> and it's it's when Julia Stiles, her character's name is Kat, again, she, like, goes to Alice and Janie's office. Alice and Janie plays kind of, like, this, like, receptionist person. And she says something like, Oh, Kat. And then she like raises her mug and there's a cat on her mug. And she's like, cat? (laughs) Cat. (laughs) The point is, cat. Cat. (laughs) Oh my god. I like die every single time I watch that scene. It's just so funny. But do you have any other thoughts on... 10 things I hate about you before we move on to the other segments. Oh, one thing I will also mention is, man, Joey's not offering a big incentive to take people out on a date. He's like, I'll give you 20 bucks. He's like, oh my God. Yeah. And then at one point it was like, um, I'll pay you like $50. I was like, oh, $50. I was like, that's not enough. Yeah. I think each date he ends up paying him and then they bump it up to like a hundred, but like, yeah. Maybe that wasn't super clear and also just that just doesn't seem worth it to me. Like that's not an, enough money. If you want me to take someone out, you know, give me like 5,000 bucks or something. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe 20,000. Like Right, when Patrick was like $50, I was like Patrick, that's a bad deal. Don't take it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I kind of had that in my random observations list here. Oh, I also wanted to say too again. Okay. So, like I kind of referenced earlier, I've been watching Dawson's Creek and there was a Dawson's Creek reference in this movie. Yes. So like at one point the dad is talking to Bianca because she like really wants to go to prom and then he says something like, What's normal? 
Those damn Dawson's River kids sleeping in each other's beds and whatnot. And I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is great. And yes. actually, there's going to be some interesting Dawson's Creek connections that we'll get into in the later segments. But of course, we could already name one of them. Heath Ledger had a personal connection to Miss Michelle Williams, who played Jen Lindley on Dawson's Creek. Yeah. So do you ever watch Dawson's Creek, by the way? I have not. Oh my god, Kristen, I feel like make your way, girl, to the creek. <laughs> make my way to the creek. Make your way to the creek, girl. <laughs> I want you to want me. I need you to need me. I love you to love me. I'm begging you to beg me. Popcorn and Pop Stars. <laughs> Popcorn and Pop Stars is a segment where we talk about where the diva was at this point in her career when she made the movie and potentially why she did the movie. So Julia Stiles is our diva of the week. Where was Miss Julia Stiles at when she was getting ready to do 10 Things I Hate About You? I feel like a lot of these people were all kind of at the start of their careers. Like, they'd done a couple of things. Oh, yeah. But this really made, like, Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, mm-hmm. and, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, mm-hmm. stars. Right. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much had the same thing. She was, like, at the beginning of her career. I could name some of the roles she did here. So her first film role that she starred in was in a movie called I Love You, I Love You Not. And it starred Claire Danes and Jude Law. And I watched the trailer last night, like, out of curiosity. And it's, like, so teen 90s, like romantic movie miramax home entertainment invites you into daisy's world they say it's a difficult age she's growing up i won't hurt you trust me finding love no why wait for me and learning that the only thing harder than fitting in is having the courage to be yourself and dawson's creek connection james vanderbeek is in this movie I was like, oh my god, they're all here. And then um, I have here her first lead role was in a movie called Wicked in 1998. She played a teenage girl who might have murdered her mother so she could have her father all to herself, which I'm like, oh my god, that's wild. That's terrifying. Dad, you love me, don't you? Just don't know what goes on inside your head sometimes. Critically, I guess at the Sundance Film Festival in 1998, she got great reception from the critics and then in 1998 later that year she starred in a made-for-tv movie titled the 60s that aired on nbc it started as a decade of innocence how do i look and overnight it became the decade of change 
then right after that, I guess she did 10 Things I Hate About You and, like Kristen said, considered her a breakthrough role. Um, I found interesting, though, there's an interview with Julia Stiles, and even though a lot of people consider this to really be her mainstream public debut in, in the movie, this is like the time when the mainstream public started to take notice of her. In an interview, Julia Stiles said that she felt her life more so changed after Save the Last Dance. 10 Things I Hate About You was like a more gradual change for me. So 10 Things I Hate About You afforded me, all of a sudden now I was getting more work because mm -hmm. people in the industry knew about it. And then when the movie came out, it was sort of, I sort of remember it being like, oh, hey, I know you from somewhere. And then um, I did Save the Last Dance and that came out. And that's really when I, when things changed, when my daily life changed, I guess. Yeah. And then but then I, I went to college and, and kind of insulated myself from this weird thing that was happening. Yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much what I have there. Were you able to find anything for why, you know, she, she potentially did the movie? No, I didn't. I didn't really see anything. But I would just imagine, like, it's a good script. And, like, if you get the opportunity and she was doing a lot of teen films at that time, that it was like, oh, this is, like, right. a cool kind of different one. And I did see also that this was was Heath Ledger's first American film. And I feel like I remember that, like, when it came out. Mm, okay. And so it was kind of like his breakout into, like, American culture, kind of. Yeah. What you were saying about Julia Stiles, I wasn't really able to find a specific reason myself, but you're totally right. Because I, I was really trying to dig last night on YouTube. Like, is there any, like, interview for 10 Things I Hate About You during that time? I wasn't able to find anything, unfortunately. But she's done more recent interviews where she has said, like, numerous times that she really wanted the role of Kat. There was, there was some depth to it, and there was also uh, a bite to it. Like, I think a lot of romantic comedies can be kind of saccharine and and the, the the writers weren't afraid to have this teenage girl be feisty and opinionated <laughs> and a fish out of water but she didn't care that she was a fish out of water and <laughs> to, I remember when I was auditioning for it really really wanting that part because it spoke to me and it and it and it was unique I hadn't I was sort of sick of going to commercial auditions and they were telling me like I needed to be more bubbly and effervescent and I was an angsty teenager like <laughs> please yeah yeah so finally, I was reading this 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 girl who was like, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, um, very bold, and I think I hope that's what people responded to. That is interesting because um, I mean I guess we'll get probably get into this a little bit later on, but I had actually seen that she was originally up for Bianca and yeah. Larissa Olenek was originally up for Cat. So that's interesting that she kind of wanted the other role and then it worked out. Right. Who is it, Mrs. Potts, dear? I thought you might like a spot of tea. I guess we can move on to spill the Technicolor tea. It's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while. So this is a segment where we talk about any potential like gossip, controversy surrounding the movie at the time. Or I feel like in this case, it will largely be fun facts about the movie. So yeah, yeah. what tea were you able to find? So something that I found was that the director, Gil Junger, when his agent originally gave him the script for a teen version of Taming of the Shrew, he was like, uh, no, I don't really want to do a high school movie. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do like a romantic love story, but then he read the script and he was like, oh, wow, that's kind of really what this is. So like, I want to do it. Right. So I thought that was interesting that he originally was like, eh, I don't know about this. And then he read the script and was like, actually, this is great. Nice. Okay. I don't know how true this is because this is like what I got off of IMDb and I don't have like the <laughs> 10th anniversary commentary from the cast. But according to the 10th anniversary, 
anniversary commentator commentary by the cast, Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles began dating during the filming, but then they broke up in January of 2000. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but... I mean, they have great chemistry, so... Yeah, that's what I was thinking, so... Hmm. What other tea do you have, if you have any? Yeah, I saw that during a Q&A with the screenwriters, Karen McCullough said that the title came from, like, a diary entry that she made in high school. Like, she was mad at a boyfriend that she had, and she made a list called Things I Hate About Anthony. We were writing another script together, and we were driving in a car, and Karen was regaling you the story of ten, some list, right. ten things I hate about Anthony. Yeah. And I was like, I wrote down like, oh, that's a good movie title, 10 Things I Hate About You. And we didn't even know what it would, would end up being, but we then... We wanted to write a team movie, so I went back and read all my diaries from high school to like get in the mindset. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I found out the yeah. things I hated about Anthony, which he's, he knows. And also what's kind of cool is that the title is Assonant. So it's like The Taming of the Shrew, 10 Things I Hate About You. They kind of like... Oh, right. Yeah, they kind of like go together. Interesting. Nice, nice. We love these English terms. <laughs> Let's see here. I guess Joseph Gordon-Levitt initially did not want to be in this movie. Really? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I was not sold on doing 10 Things I Hate About You. When I, when I first read the script, I was like, I don't want to do one of these high school romantic comedies. I want to be do serious movies. That's all I wanted to do when I was that age. Is I, I was going to, you know, art house cinemas and watching movies coming from Sundance and, you know, watching Sling Blade and, and Reservoir Dogs and Soderbergh and Tarantino and, and these kinds. Of, that's, that's what I wanted to do. And 10 Things I Hate About You came around uh, and I was like, nah, no. And a bunch of people in my life, my agent and, you know, other people were like, are you sure? Just like, consider this. This is a pretty good one of these. And, you know, it'd probably be, you know, a good thing. Just like, try, try. He admits later now that he was probably just being a pretentious teenager at the time, but he he's really happy to have been a part of the, the movie. That's too funny. And all of us had so much fun. I'm so glad I did that movie not not only because it's a movie that audiences still love all this um, you know whatever it is 20 years later the experience is actually what I what I love the most about that whole thing even if people didn't like the movie we had such a good time all of us do you have any other pieces of tea yeah so I had read that the guy who plays Michael David Krumholtz when he years later he wrote a piece for Vulture talking about like why the movie worked so well together and then he talked about how like the whole cast became like really good friends oh I love that right and they actually started filming before Heath Ledger got there and they were kind of like oh god what is this gonna mean when this guy gets here and that he like fit in perfectly their whole ensemble had like the best vibes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's that's nice to hear, you know? I love hearing that too. And I feel like that, like, you can tell the entire cast, they have good chemistry with one another. So that came across. Yeah, definitely. And then another one I had was around the musicians that they had. Mm-hmm. So the lead singer of Letters to Cleo, who's one of the bands that is featured as Kat's favorite band, at the end of the film, you see them playing their song and they're like on a rooftop and there's like all these crazy big shots around them and they said that they were terrified filming that mm-hmm. and they were like this is a helicopter shot it's five hundred thousand dollars every time the helicopter takes off so don't mess this up and then they were freaking out they they got the scene but like they're like i can't believe how terrifying that was to film something like yeah, that yeah that's so wild too it's like how at the end of the movie you just like see them on top of the, <laughs> the roof <laughs> 
I'm yeah. dying. Fun fact I have is Gabrielle Union is in this movie, like we said earlier, and she kind of plays the the friend of Bianca. Gabrielle Union was 26 years old when she did this movie, which I'm like, wow, legend. She looked great. She still looks great. She still <laughs> looks great. Like, Gabrielle Union is one of those people, like, she, you know, doesn't look like she's aging, and she literally looks the same <laughs> in this movie like she does now, so incredible i mean i'm done with my little fun facts if you want to keep going um that's really all of them the only other one i had was uh about how the table dancing scene led to Styles <laughs> landing save the last dance that's i feel like that's probably like my favorite fun fact yeah that is like <laughs> unreal yeah <laughs> it's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while oh my gosh okay so let's just jump in then to tinseltown showdown <laughs> So this is a segment where we talk about any potential people who may have been up for the role, but then they opted out of the movie. So who do you have for this segment? I just have that Heath Ledger beat out Josh Hartnett and Ashton Kutcher for the role of Patrick. Mm-hmm. Imagine how different that movie would have been. Oh my gosh. I Nope. I can't see it. Yeah, no. I'm so happy they went with Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. I have here for Cat who, you know, was played by Julia Stiles. Larissa Olenek, I guess wanted to be Kat and then Julia Stiles I don't know again this is from IMDb wanted to be Bianca but then casting director came in and was like actually you ladies should like play the other role instead and then thankfully that ended up working out I also have here that Eliza Dushku who played Missy from Bring It On yes was supposed to be well auditioned to be Kat I could kind of see that yeah because like who she plays in Bring It On kind of has that like you know tough girl exterior trait like Kat does. Mm -hmm. So I also have here that Katie Holmes, again, connection to Dawson's Creek, (laughs) and Kate Hudson also auditioned. But the Vulture article that I got this from, like they didn't say for what role specifically, but apparently Katie Holmes and Kate Hudson auditioned to be in this movie. Katie Holmes ended up not doing it because she was just about to do Dawson's Creek. And then Goldie Hawn, who is Kate Hudson's mother, did not like the script. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, when did this come out compared to when How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days came out? When did that one come out? How to Lose a Guy was in 2003, I believe. And this is before Almost Famous, which comes out in 2000. So it's like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is 99, Almost Famous 2000, and like, you know, Almost Famous is the Kate Hudson iconic oh my gosh her breakthrough moment and then how to lose a guy in 10 days i believe was 2003 or 2004 one of the two so that would have like completely changed so many things for people you know if the movie tanked none of these people would have had their big starts like let's say if if kate hudson had gotten the role or you know it would have changed like when she became big yeah i feel like and if she did this movie maybe she would have not done almost famous then who would have been Penny Lane in Almost Famous? Like, there's just so many things that change. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh my goodness, the timeline, the multiverse. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we could move on to Show Me the Receipts. No way. I want to see the receipts. So this is a segment where we talk stats of the movie. So what receipts do you have? I saw that, you know, basically Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, really blew up after this. They, you know, they all got Teen Choice Award nominations and MTV Movie Award nominations. And 
yeah, they just like this was kind of like a big stepping stone for all these people in their careers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It like changed their careers, essentially. Like they made their career off of 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, that's amazing. I guess I could go into like box office numbers. So budget wise, according to the New York Times, this movie was made with an $11.2 million budget. But then according to Wikipedia, it was made with a $16 million budget. Not quite sure which one is the more accurate one, but I I thought I'd list at least both of them. The movie domestically grossed $38.1 million. And then outside of North America, it grossed $15.3 million with a worldwide gross of about $53.5-ish million. So fairly successful there. And then I guess I'll end with Rotten Tomato score. On the tomato meter, this movie has a 69% and it also has a 69% audience score. Oh, wow. So everyone felt the same. Yeah. Let's jump into impact and closing thoughts. Kristen, what is the impact of 10 Things I Hate About You? I mean, I think 10 Things I Hate About You has a has a pretty big impact. You know, like I said, I remember this movie came out when I was nine. And when I was like 20, I had a poster on in my room for it still, you know, like, yeah, like we said, this made a lot of people's careers. You know, I think this definitely put Heath Ledger and, and Julia Stiles and Joseph Gordon-Levitt on a different level and really made their careers. I mean, I'm sure this also made the careers of the screenwriters who oh, yeah. who wrote it, Karen McCulloch and, and Kirsten Smith. They've created so many incredible projects since. And I think just looking at their work, you can see that their writing has an impact on like telling very unique stories around women and kind of flipping them on their head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I feel like it's, it's one of those movies that I could see like people looking at and being like, this is how you tell a teen movie story but giving it like an edgy twist and telling it in a different way and being able to give these female characters these deeper stories and just like creating a whole world around these characters that actually like makes you feel something. I mean I also have here too that 10 Things I Hate About You is part of that era of great teen rom-coms the late 90s into the 2000s and was also part of like the Shakespeare teen movie trend that was very prominent during this era too so like I mean of course Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet that movie came out in 1996 with Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio my pilgrim lips that they must use in prayer well then dear saint what lips do with hands do they pray grant thou as faith turned to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. And then you have here, like, 10 Things I Hate About You comes out in 1999. I don't know. I've never seen this movie, but it's called Get Over It. I don't know that one. It's with Kirsten Dunst. It's like a teen adaptation of A Midsummer's Night's Dream. I came with Hermia hither. Our intent was to be gone from Athens, so we might, without the peril of Athenian law, be wed. However. Huh? What? However, but yeah, that came out in 2001. And then I mean, continuing on with the screenwriters of 10 Things I Hate About You, 2006, She's the Man comes out and that's an adaptation of Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. I'm not Sebastian. I'm Viola. Wait, wait. you're not Viola. Yes, I am. No, I know Viola. I, I kissed Viola. You kissed me. Romeo Must Die, that came out in 2000 with Aaliyah and Jet Li, Romeo and Juliet adaptation there. You must be a very dangerous man. Are you scared? (laughs) Don't take this personal, but I've been around a lot more dangerous guys than you. 
And then in 2001, O was a adaptation of Othello. Just watch your girl, bro. I mean, she and Mike spent an awful lot of time together. Yeah, so what? There were a lot of like, let's take Shakespeare texts and then like adapt it into the American high school setting. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I didn't see O, but that that even has Andrew Keegan and um, Julia Stiles and Julia Stiles who are in this. Yeah. Oh, wait, we never talked about the adaptation, the, the TV show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! I'll let Kristen talk about it, but I'll set it up here. For those of you guys who don't know, there was a TV spinoff series after the movie came out. And the the show, I believe, was called 10 Things I Hate About You, right? Yes. Was that like on, um... ABC Family. Kristen, go for it. Because Kristen actually went back and started watching, um some episodes so yeah thoughts on the show Uh, okay so this new 10 things i hate about you that they did was in 2009 it only lasted a season on abc family and it was actually developed by carter covington who i love so much he did greek he did um the first season of charmed on cw he did faking it for mtv um he's really really cool he actually collaborated with the original film director gil junger on a bunch of ABC Family Projects, which led to them reimagining 10 Things I Hate About You for TV. Mm. They actually did 20 episodes. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That, oh my God. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was definitely different. I only have watched like some of the first episode at this point. I, I feel like I remember watching a little bit of it uh-huh. when it came out because I was like, oh my God, 10 Things I Hate About You. But it honestly, it doesn't compare right. to the movie. But it starred Lindsay Shaw from Pretty Little Liars and Ned's Declassified, oh, School Survival okay, Guide, okay. and Megan Martin, who was um, in Camp Rock, and Mean Girls 2. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Lindsay Shaw was Cat. Megan Martin was Bianca. This guy, Ethan Peck, from uh, Star Trek Discovery, was Patrick Verona. So wait, they had the same character names? Yes, they were the same characters. And actually, the dad, the overprotective dad in the movie, Larry Miller, he reprised his role as the dad in the show. He's the only character to come back. And then they have Chastity, who was played by Gabrielle Union, played by a girl named Dana Davis, and she was on Heroes. And they also have Chris Zelka, who was in like the Secret Circle. He plays Joey. But so from what I was getting from the first episode, they changed the story a little bit where it was like Kat and Bianca actually moved to this new town from Ohio, and they're starting at this new school. And so Kat meets Patrick Verona and he's like strange where like he's always watching her. Yeah. And then Bianca moves to the school and she's a social butterfly. She wants to like become friends with Chastity, who's basically running the whole school. So they kind of like really expand Chastity's role, uh-huh. the role that Gabrielle Union played. She's sort of like filling the role of Chastity and Joey. And then Joey is her boyfriend and he's kind of like dumb <laughs> like you know he's just kind of like the dumb jock i you know only watched a little bit of the first episode but it looks like they're gonna make it so that joey and bianca actually connect and he's not a jerk that he's more of like kind of dumb and like the two of them fall for each other and that chastity is a little bit more of the villain in this are you planning on continuing it or i don't think so i, <laughs> I wanted to i wanted to kind of know so that i could come into into here having like some background yeah i don't think it's not worth the time if it was on netflix or something and i could just watch the whole thing i had to like find a random episode on youtube and it's like not super great quality mm. so i'm like eh. no this is too much work for a show that's like not even <laughs> probably that good yeah like i don't think it's gonna hit the level of 
quality or legendariness of the, the movie. But it was fun to watch. You know, I really like Carter Covington, who's the creator and, like, producer and showrunner of the show mm-hmm. and a lot of his other projects. You know, it was cool to see, like, something else that he's worked on that I haven't really, like, dove too much into before. Now we know, um, for anyone who's interested in checking out the show, it's there. <laughs> That's our little spiel. Do you have anything else you want to say before we could share your social media stuff? I just want to say, if you haven't watched 10 Things I Hate About You, you should. You will fall in love with the entire film and with Heath Ledger's smile. Like, I just remember very vividly when I watched this that, like, you knew he was going to be a star. How can he not? He was so talented. And like I said, I think this is such an interesting project the way that they like flip certain characters and certain roles and our lead character like you said is like not someone that you would necessarily expect to lead chick type of project you know like she's not bubbly you know and it shows like that there are different types of people out there the fact that Patrick is such a nice guy like you know he has he puts up walls but like he genuinely is a good guy and like I really liked seeing that he genuinely liked her and was a good guy and the fact that Bianca really grew like I just think all the characters in this film really grew so much over the course of the movie and that's why I think it's such a great just a little snapshot of like the late 90s the music's great totally they really told a story that felt complete I I don't know I always kind of like every now and then revisiting the movies from this era because it just does such a great job of like capturing the the time yeah and that's why I think it's so fun joining you on these podcasts because I'm like (laughs) oh man I I haven't watched this movie in so long whoa I did not remember this oh yeah I totally remember that like oh my gosh I can't believe they did that on in this movie there's just things that you take away now as you're older that like you didn't really get when you were younger and you just like I don't I don't know I like the analyzing of these things and kind of like figuring out like what does this mean what do we right. think how did this play out why uh-huh it's so interesting yeah because I mean like you know like we said earlier it's like we saw these movies when we were younger we have <laughs> clearly hopefully <laughs> grown since then our relationship to the thing and how we look at it is going to be it's going to be a bit different and it's interesting too like I feel like I usually tend to get you on for these movies that came out from like this kind of era like even thinking back to like Spice Girls that came out in the 90s and then like we did How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days together and that was like a 2000s movie like the rest of the movies that we're going to be covering together are kind of of this like teen chick flick era so it'll be fun the next couple of weeks are going to be fun for sure definitely and now our feature presentation all right you guys we've now come to coming attractions so like always i'm going to be playing a little clip from the movie that we're talking about next week So again, the theme for September is back to school divas. So that means we are talking about movies where they are set in a high school setting or in a general academic setting. I'm genuinely so excited to be covering the next couple of movies throughout September because even though I technically didn't categorize these next movies, these next group of divas as nostalgia divas, which is definitely going to be a future theme on a future season of Diva Dailies, I still feel very nostalgic about all the movies that we're covering this month. I feel like to a certain extent, these movies like really raised me and I'm so happy that I grew up in this era of movies. So I hope you guys enjoy the next couple of weeks. But the movie that we're going to be talking about next week is so iconic that the clip that I'm about to play only has three words. And I feel like you guys can figure it out. So here it is. Oh, as if. 
Cliff. Well, well, Kristen, until then, where can the people find you on social media if they aren't following you already? Yes, you can find me at Kmaldo, K-A-Y-M-A-L-D-O on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. If you add a one at the end, you can find me on Instagram. And I'm just, you know, always talking about TV and movies, so... Come hang out. Yes, hang out with Kristen. If you guys have any questions about 10 Things I Hate About You, the movie, or the series, (laughs) maybe you can hit her up there. (laughs) Too funny. There has to be like hardcore 10 Things I Hate About You like enthusiasts out there because the movie has such a, a following and legacy even to this day. Totally. But yeah, I mean, if you are interested in following the podcast as well and you aren't already, you can follow us. We're at Diva Daily's Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us divadailyspod at gmail.com and leave us a voicemail at 714-729-3121. And please, if you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed and, you know, recommend the podcast to a friend. That's pretty much it for this episode. Until next week, Kristen. See you next week. (laughs) We'll be hearing from you again. See you next week. And remember, divas. So the thing is, a diva has to be good at what she does. 